the way of wisdom. Hopefully, everybody here tonight uh, is, is desiring to walk in the way of wisdom in your life. Uh, the way of wisdom, as we've learned this month, the way of wisdom is not always the easy way. It's not always the comfortable way, but it's always the right way. Using wisdom in everything that we do and all of our interactions and all of our life decisions is the way of God. And, and, and so we want to walk in the way of wisdom. Uh, we've talked this month about wisdom's worth, about the worth of wisdom. We've talked about wisdom's works and, and the works that wisdom produces. Uh, we've talked about wisdom's warning and the warnings that are given in the wisdom literature in Scripture and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And tonight we're concluding this series uh, with the weight of wisdom or that wisdom waits. Uh, a subject that maybe probably isn't too uh, keen to most of us, uh, the idea, the concept of waiting. There's probably not one of us in here that walk into uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles or the meat market at the grocery store and you see those little red Rolodex things with the little number tabs sticking out and there's probably not one of us that goes up there and pulls that number and it says 61 and they're on number 42 on the little red dot screen, you know. And there's probably not one of us that goes, oh good, <laughs> I get a wait. <laughs> this is awesome, what I wanted to do all day. You go into the Department of Motor Vehicles to renew your license, and you walk in, and it's, it's, it's funny, I was, in fact, we were in there uh, a couple of months ago, and I watched there, and it was just comical to me as I sat there. Everybody walked in and had the same type of reaction or some form of that reaction. They walk in, Look, and there'd be this sigh. Like, <laughs> nobody walked in and said, oh, 50 people got here before me. <laughs> we don't like waiting. There, there's nothing about waiting that we enjoy. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, he hath made everything beautiful in our time, <laughs> his time. Also, he has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God makes from beginning to end. In other words, God says, I'm doing things and I'm working in ways that are not in your understanding and that are not in your timing. God's time is not always our time. God's ways are not always our ways. But Scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes, which is going to be the focus of most of our lesson tonight, is, is taken from the first 15 verses of Ecclesiastes 3. So if you have your Bibles and just want to keep them open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to be working through about the first 15 verses there. Uh, there is a time, the Bible tells us, to every purpose and activity on the earth. To everything that happens on earth, there is a time. There is a time and there is a season. Now, our lives are governed by time. How many, be honest, raise your hand, how many have checked the time already at least once since you've been on the church campus tonight? Okay, we've got a few honest folks, okay. We watch the time. We, we pay attention to the time. Now, those of you that didn't raise your hand, I promise you 
that if I'm still talking about 45 minutes from now, <laughs> you're going to look at the time. <laughs> you're going to wonder, boy, is pastor going in extra innings tonight or where are we ending, right? Uh, because we're concerned about the time. Our lives are governed by time. Uh, our alarm clocks that uh, jolt some of us out of bed or, or maybe uh, lull some of you to hit the snooze over and over again. Uh, we're, we're governed by time. Those, those early risers, you, you get out of bed, you, you uh, sip your coffee peacefully while all the other sleepyheads in the house are, are still catching some last-minute uh, sleep. Is there any of those folks that you like to drink your coffee while everybody else is still asleep in the peace and quiet? Absolutely. And, and then if they get up early, if they get up earlier than they usually do, you kind of almost get aggravated at them, right? Yeah, you know. You know, me too. Like, what are you doing in my living room? <laughs> this is not, you ain't supposed to be up yet. Go back to bed. <laughs> they, but then, and then there's the other group of people that like, you're barely getting out of bed in time to run through your shirt and your pants and get a to-go cup of coffee and you're running out the door, spilling it all over your hand. Ah, 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 Jesus, Jesus, you're praying on your way to the car as you're spilling hot coffee on yourself. And you're barely getting to work in the nick of time, right? But in either case, our, our lives are governed by time, appointments, clocks, deadlines, dates, dictate so much of our life. Even when the clock comes to an end for the day and, and the work day ends or the waking day ends and you go to bed, whatever, you, you know you're going to just repeat it all again the next day right? And our lives are busy. You got to carve out time for this and that and kids and, and families and practices and grocery shopping and meal prep and, and, and yard work and w whatever it is. And at the end of the day, how many often ask yourself, where did the time go? Where did the day go? Uh, time flies. They say time flies when you're having fun. Uh, you know, we, we, we know time escapes us. Sometimes we run out of time. Very infrequently, we have spare time. But time and again, we're, we're reminded that when it seems like we're running out of time and, and we don't have enough time to spare, sometimes it's worth paying attention to that the things that suffer the most from our struggles with time are the people and the things that matter the most. Sometimes it's our relationship with God that struggles the most. Sometimes it's our relationship with our children, our families that struggle the most when we struggle with time. Time, uh, you can waste time, you can kill time, you can, uh, you can have a, a good time, a bad time, a whale of a time, uh, a, a hard time. Uh, some people say time heals all wounds. I don't think that's a complete statement. Time does not heal all wounds. Time well spent heals all wounds, uh, but time poorly spent makes wounds worse. There, just throw that in there, modify that statement. Uh, so time, time, we, we can do this and that with time, but the one thing we can't do is make any more of it. We all have the same 24 hours today. <clears throat> we all have the same 60 minutes in an hour. We all have the same amount of time. In fact, when you're here at church tonight, you're here at midweek Bible study. You got dressed, rubbed the sleepers out of your eyes from your afternoon nap, or maybe you're like someone I just talked to who woke up and, and opened up 
the workplace very, very early and rushed straight here from work, got here. And thank you to all the faithful people that come here straight from work that understand midweek is a priority. I applaud you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your faithfulness. But even in your time here in the church building, you can waste your time here just because time is spent at church doesn't mean it's time well spent at church. You can waste time here or you can make the most of time here. You can apply some principles that I'm teaching to your life or uh, you can just fall asleep <laughs> or you can text or be on your phone or just be completely daydreaming or making your grocery list or whatever or, uh, you know, but, but time is indiscriminate. We all have the same amount of it every single day. Someday we have to know that our time will be out and we will face eternity. And at that day, we are going to want to have a testimony that we did our best to spend our time here well. The preacher of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. He, he lets us know that seasons are a natural part of life. Solomon wisely observed that life consisted of more than just one dimension. That life is not one dimensional, but life is multi-dimensional. That, that it's not just the good seasons, but there's also some not so good seasons. God has ordered the times and seasons for us. Now, this is a whole discussion in itself, but God is eternal. God's not bound by time. He is timeless. So, so time, a timeless God who created time in the beginning at creation, God created time. Uh, this everlasting God didn't need time to exist. He doesn't need time to exist. In fact, for the first three days of creation, time didn't exist. There was really no such thing as time until the fourth day when God created the sun and the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light, the moon, to rule uh, the night and, and the times and the seasons were created uh, as an extension of him creating these lights on the fourth day. God didn't need time, but he knew that we would need time. Now, how many wish you could go back there and say, hey, good Lord, can you make a little more of it though? <laughs> Can, can, we have, can we have 26 hours in a day, 28 hours in a day? But here's the powerful principle of time. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I want you to hear this, okay? The powerful principle of time is the same principle of money and the same principle that applies to many other things in life. However you use a little bit of it will be how you use all of it. If you can't well manage a half hour, you're not going to be able to well manage 24 hours. If you can't well manage a, you know, if you can't well manage an eight hour work day and you can't be honest and engaged and do your tasks and, 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 and get stuff done and, and be a good employee, right? You've heard me say this before, but spirit-filled 
believers who believe and live the Bible ought to be the best workers, the best employees, uh, the, the best employers on, on the planet. But if you can't manage eight hours honestly and well, then you're probably not managing the rest of your life well either. It's the same with money. It's the same with stewardship. Well, if God would bless me with this windfall, man, I would, I would start being faithful then. I would be faithful in my tithe and my offering. I would, man, I would, you, and people make these lists, right? Man, if I win the sweepstakes, I would, I would bless the kingdom of God, man. We would start that remodel project tomorrow, pastor, right? But that's mostly false because if I am waiting for a windfall to be faithful, I wouldn't be faithful with the windfall either because however I manage $100, $50 is how I'm going to manage $500 is the same principles, right? Now, you can buy more of it, but if you buy junk with $50, you're just going to buy bigger, more junk, more expensive junk with $500. And if you buy junk with $500, you're going to buy just more expensive junk with $5,000. People prove it every year when they get their tax money back or Christmas bonuses. If you don't know how to manage $50, you're not going to know how to manage $50 million. The principle is that I don't need God to give me more time. Or I don't need God to give me more money. Now, all of us would take more of either of those, right? But what I need is, God, help me be disciplined and pleasing to you in managing the 24 hours that you've given me every single day. In managing the paycheck, whether you work six hours a week at minimum wage or, or you're the uh, founding partner of John Deere, it does, God, teach me to manage my time well. Teach me to manage my stewardship, my finances well. Because the principle of time is however I use a little bit of it, I will use a lot of it. Teach us. Psalms 90, to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. Wisdom and scripture. Or literally it's referring to the wisdom of godliness. What, what the scripture is saying, what the wise writer of Ecclesiastes is saying is that if I understood that my days are numbered, if I knew that I was living with eternity in mind, if you knew that you could step into eternity in the next 24 hours, how would you have lived the last 24 hours differently? That's a sobering question, right? But, but that's, what, that's what he's saying. Number, live with the idea that your days are numbered. Not that I walk around in fear. Not that I'm scared that there's a boogeyman behind every bush. No, not fear. But Lord, I, what does it say? Giving our hearts unto wisdom or godliness. I'm going to live godly because I know that my days matter. My time matters. I'm, I can't afford to live unrighteously. I can't afford to take time off. I can't afford to, to say, well, Lord, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to pray anymore. I don't want to worship you. Any, I can't afford to do that. Because I can't afford to not be a, a light and a witness because I'm, I'm living with eternity in mind. Now, the wisdom of Solomon 
tells us in Ecclesiastes that we, we learn not just how to live, and we, not, we don't just learn how to have, but we learn how to wait. And we learn how to patiently wait for the right season. And, and wisdom helps us differentiate between the various seasons of our life. And wisdom helps us patiently wait for the right seasons of our life. Now, the, the preacher uh, of Ecclesiastes listed a number of seasons in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Starting with the big picture, that there is a time to be born and a time to die. And this is all in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up. In other words, along this journey of life, there's going to be uh, times that we need to uh, plant and, and expect to harvest. But there's some times that we need to pluck some things up and pluck things out of our life. Sometimes we feel desperate for our labors to produce a harvest. But we know Solomon's saying that there's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up. There, there's, a, there's a time and a season to these things. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. Now, just for the record, uh, there's not several words for kill in the English language, uh, but there was in the Coney Greek of that Scripture uh, was interpreted in. And, and so this is not speaking of going out and murdering someone, uh, but the, the original phrase there that is used is speak of, and I'm not speaking, don't... Uh, make my words apply to something that I'm not, I'm not speaking about capital punishment tonight. I'm not speaking about just or unjust wars, but I'm telling you what this word means in scripture. And that is that it's referring to a judicial killing or uh, like in Bible times, this word would be used for the execution of criminals or wars of defense of others or wars of self-defense, not killing in malice or killing with no judicial cause. So Solomon says there's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. In other words, there's struggles that come where you heal something, where you restore something, where you put it back together. There's a time to break down and there's a time to build up. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to build up and and recover. Uh, There's a time to weep. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to to dance. Now, have you ever noticed that there are some people that they are very one-dimensional in their life. They only know how to laugh or they only know how to weep. Have you ever seen somebody like that? Like they, they don't have a well-rounded approach to life. It's either all weeping or it's all laughing. They, they have kind of one response or, or maybe it's all whatever, fill in the blank, but there's kind of one programmed response to whatever comes there. Maybe, maybe somebody gets angry. Maybe there's one programmed response. Anger is the response to everything, no matter what it is. Uh, that's just their programmed response. Uh, we can be more well-rounded than that. Solomon says there's a time to weep and there's a time to cry. First Chronicles says that there's the children of Issachar, they, they had great understanding of the times, that they knew what Israel ought to do. Uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, You hypocrites, you cannot discern. He said, You can discern the face of the sky and the earth. In other words, you can tell the weather, but you don't know what time this is. He was chastising them because you know all these carnal things. Hello. You know all these earthly things, but you are clueless about spiritual timing. You're clueless about spiritual things. 
Jesus chastised them, rebuked the multitudes because they were looking for the wrong thing at the wrong time. It would be silly of a farmer to plant grain in the ground, to plant the seeds in the ground, and to go out and then start digging them up the next morning. That guy doesn't understand timing. There's a time and there's a season. Uh, there's, we, we've got to live and we've got to behave with wisdom in our life because only through the wisdom, the way of wisdom in Scripture, can we understand the times and the seasons. Can we not be one-dimensional in our life, but we can understand that there is a time to weep, and there is a time to rejoice, and there's a time to cry, and there's a time to celebrate, and there's a time to mourn. All of these times given in Scripture, there's a time to dance and mourn. There's a time to cast away stones. There's a time to gather Stones. In other words, that's an analogy of they would often take stones and they would go into an enemy's plot of land and they would throw stones all over in the night. Uh, so it would it would make it very difficult for farming. If it would make it very difficult for them to till the ground, but. Solomon says there's a time to do that, there's a time to thwart the enemy's plans, and then there's a time to start executing your own plans, to gather the stones and, and plant some crops and build up. There's a time to weep and laugh, mourn, dance, cast away stones, gather stones, refer, uh, embrace and refrain from embrace, embracing. There's a time to seek and there's a time uh, to lose. There's a time to keep and there's a, a time to cast away. In other words, there's a time to keep certain things near to you and dear to you, and there's, there's times that, that things stand in opposition to your soul. And if something stands in opposition to your soul, if it comes between you and Jesus, it's time to cast it away. What did Jesus say in Luke 14? He said, if any man come to me and hate not, strong word, right? But again, a little bit different application uh, uh, for us. If he hates not, Luke 14, 26, his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What in the world does that mean? I gotta hate my wife and my in-laws and my kids? <laughs> There's probably some days where, you know, you could go any one of those directions, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you have to be willing to put everything Second, to the way of wisdom. You have to put everything in your life second to the calling that I have put on you to be my disciple. That's what Jesus was telling them. He was saying, if you can't put everything a distant second, and that's what he was saying, again, a little bit different implication in the, in the Greek than the word that it's translated as hate, but it, it, it's a separation. If you're not willing to, to understand, there is a separation that I am first in your life and there is not even a close second. If you can't understand that, he said, you're not fit to be my disciple. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Why would he name the closest relationships to us and say that? Because he was saying it's going to be very easy for other people and things to take the place of God in your life. There's going to be, it's going to be easy for other people and other things to assume the throne in your life. If he's God, he wants to control my emotions. 
If he's Lord of my life, he wants to dictate my behavior. If he's Lord of my life, he dictates how I react and respond and how I live and where I go and what I do and what I say. But he's trying to let us know that if you're not careful, the human tendency is for all of us that we let other things or other people in our life dictate how we respond or dictate what we do or dictate where we go or dictate how we behave or dictate what wisdom we listen to, whether the wisdom of man, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of a university, the wisdom of family, the wisdom He he said, if you're second-guessing me against any of these other people or things, you're not fit to be my disciple. But the flip side is true. If you can make up in your mind and firmly establish that there is no person, there is no thing, there is no priority that is going to dictate my life away from Scripture, then you are fit to be the disciple of Jesus Christ. He said there's a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to speak and and a time to keep silence. (laughs) We could spend a little time on that one. If you've ever met somebody that doesn't know when to speak and when to... (laughs) There's a time to speak and then there's a time to zip it. (laughs) There's a time not to speak. Let Let me just give you... Uh, a, a quick little note or two on this, okay? If your emotions are inflamed, that's a good time to... <laughs> if someone has made you extremely sad or extremely angry, extremely emotional in any way, that's a good time to pause. I, I, I thank God for a godly uh, wife that, that there are, I can't count the times in the last 20 years, 21 almost this year, babe, of life and ministry where I have said, hey, read this text or read this email or read this, how I'm responding to this. And I can't count the times that she will say something like, you know what, you need to not reply to that right now. You need to sleep on it and pray on it. (laughs) They get thee behind me, woman. No, I don't say that. I'm just kidding. I don't say that. (laughs) Never said that in my life till just now. Two Wednesdays in a row, I'm getting in trouble. (laughs) No. (laughs) Why? Because there's a time to speak and there's a time to keep silence. There's a time to speak up and there's a time not, there's a time to love and there's a time to hate. Again, it's not talking about hating people. Talking about hating sin and lustful uh, thoughts and, and carnality and 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 the things of this world. Can I just can I just help us with something there? You you can't entertain sin and hate sin at the same time. Well, can I say it again? You can't play with sin and hate sin at the same time. Elders, young people, young adults, hear me. You you, you can't be entertained by sin and hate sin at the same time. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's go to Romans. What does Romans say? Romans 1, it goes through this whole list. This whole list. Uh, you, <laughs> 
This, I, I didn't give you this verse back there because this isn't in my notes, but I do feel this in the Holy Ghost. Romans 1 gives a whole list of things that we are to despise, that we are to abhor, that we are to stay away from, that we're to steer clear of, that should not be in the life of a believer. Verse 24, 32. Look, and I'm not gonna read all this, but just look at this list. Those that are dishonoring their bodies, the lusts of the heart. Uh, in, this, in this passage, it, it speaks of those that uh, exchange truth for a lie, those that, that willfully walk into false doctrine. It, it talks about those who worship creature over creator, uh, those who give up for, their, for vile passions and uh, women exchanging the natural use for what is against nature and men leaving the natural use of a woman burned with lust for one another committing shameful acts uh, verse 27 says and, and, and so it's dealing it, it spends just like three verses here dealing with sexual sin covering everything from unbridled lust and pornography to homosexuality and and every other type of sin that is displeasing to God and separates you from God. And and then it goes on to say in verse 28, uh, they don't retain God in their knowledge. He gave them over to a debased mind to do things that are not fitting. And then it again mentions sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malice, uh, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers or, or God Gossipers, hello, it, it just, just should just jump out at somebody that it puts gossipers in the same sentence, in the same paragraph, in the same verse as those that are unrighteous, wicked, and sexually immoral and murderers. Can we just pause a moment of silence on that? <laughs> it, puts, it, <laughs> it puts gossipers in the same verse as murderers. And sexual little perverts. Well, moving right along. And verse 30, backbiters. Whoa, backbiters is in there too. Talking behind people's back. That's kind of like gospel, like you biting on somebody's back when they're not fitting themselves. Well, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Young people, disobedient to parents. Now, I'm not just being silly for the sake of being silly, but I'm telling you, being disobedient to a godly parental instruction is in the same paragraph as all that other junk. It's displeasing to God. It'll separate you from God. Hear me, young people. Hear me. You're going out next Wednesday. I get this last shot at you, so here. No, I'm not, I'm not shooting at you. I'm trying to help you. It's, it's in, we got to be careful. But, but what, is, what is, parents, we understand this, right? Young people, sometimes we're, when we're youthful, we're, we are not aware enough to understand this. But why would God want to separate you from godly parental instruction? Or I'm, I'm sorry, why would the enemy, not God, why would the enemy want to separate you from godly parental instruction? Because if you're blessed enough to have even one godly voice in your life, The enemy would love nothing more than to separate you from a more mature, seasoned voice of reason in your life. Because when you're young, you don't 
you don't know what you don't know. Your brain's still developing. You're physiologically still developing. And so the enemy would love nothing more than to drive a wedge and separate you from a godly parental voice. I'm sorry, uh, AVM team, none of this is in my notes and none of these scriptures are in my notes, but uh, I do feel like I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. The, the enemy would love to separate you from godly parental voices in your life. You know why? Because then he's got you alone. And you're not even like the old experienced lion alone. You're a dumb lion cub alone. And I don't mean that in any offensive way. I'm just saying the enemy wants to separate you from voices of reason. And if you don't have, if you're like me and grew up without godly parents in the church and spent your teenage years without those godly voices, thank God for voices of elders and teachers and youth leaders and Sunday school teachers and and that they can be voices of balance in our life and voices of influence in our life. The enemy would love to separate you from those voices because if he can isolate you, he can defeat you. Where was I? Verse 30, boasters, proud, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Woo, Holy Ghost. Unforgiving, you don't forgive people, not have mercy on people, that's in the same paragraph too as the murders and the sexual perverts. Who knowing the righteous judgment. So it puts all these. Do you realize that we are in such a blatantly sinful day? Such an in your face. Sexual charged sinful day. I, mean, you, you walk around, I walk around the mall the other day with my kids. I'm like dear God. Like you used to not see this stuff unless you went to the beach in Florida in the summertime. Now it's like walking around the mall. It's like everyday wear. Like what in the world? Our, our world is, is such a hyper-sexualized and, and sinful and perverted world. And, and, and God said, I don't want you doing those things. I want you to stay away from those things. But here's where we gotta be careful as a church. You with me? Now, some of you to this point, you're thinking, I'm good, man. That's like a long list, and I'm pretty good on most of those. I mean, maybe a little gossip now and then, maybe a little disrespectful now and then, but, you know, I'm pretty good, right? I'm pretty good, right? But then you get in verse 32, and it messes with us a little more because it says, not only doing the same, but also approving of those, having pleasure in those that practice them. Woo! So what that means is, The Apostle Paul, writer of over half the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, gives us this list of things that that is absolute abhorrent, that, that God says, you don't do these things. But then he caps it off by saying, and do not approve of people that do these things. Do not pleasure in people that do these things. The, the New King James says, approve. Uh, the, 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 uh, another translation says, or to celebrate or share or partake in what they're doing. Can I just sound a, a, a pastoral warning for somebody here tonight? You may not be doing the things. You may not be doing those things. But if you're celebrating and congratulating those things, 
this isn't my rule. This isn't, I didn't write the Bible. Don't get mad at me. But the word says that you're guilty of the thing. See, I mean, when you start teaching Bible, it just messes you up. It's the same way with, you know, slander, right? Principle of murder in the Old Testament, thou shalt not kill. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, it's not just kill. If you even slander your brother, you're guilty of murder. Well, how am I guilty of a sexually perverted life if all I do is share something on social media that's perverted? Or all I do is double tap like something that's perverted? The Apostle Paul says, if you approve of it, Everybody okay? We still breathe the same air? (laughs) In other words, I don't partake in those things, but neither do I celebrate when others partake in those things. Do you know the lie of the 21st century that we're living in right now? The lie that is being peddled is that you cannot love me and not love what I do. But that is a lie. We got parents all over the room. Is it possible to love your child but not like what they do? I don't hate my child when they mess up. In fact, I don't even love them any less when they mess up. I just don't like what they did. And so I address the deed, not the person, right? You're not a bad person, but you did a bad thing, right? So, So it's okay New Testament believers to understand and live with the confidence that that I can love somebody without approving of what they do. We okay? So can I just make this real practical? That means there's some stuff you shouldn't like on Facebook. I'm sorry if that makes me sound like an old, naive prude. That means there's some TikToks you shouldn't share, young people. That means there's some Instagrams that you shouldn't share. That means there's some posts you shouldn't like. That means there's some accounts that you shouldn't even follow. Man, that's hard preaching. I mean, the Bible's not an easy book everywhere, you know? Everybody okay? But the the scriptural principle is that I I can't, you know, you take the most extreme of sin in that list and murder. If if, if there's somebody, you got a friend that's walking around like Jack the Ripper, I mean just eating people up, right? You ain't going to double tap that. You're not going to share that. You're not going to celebrate that. If you do, you're sick and we need to pray for you. But why would we do that for sexually immoral things or immodesty or perversion or foul language? Am I in the minority here tonight? I'm I'm, I'm in the Bible, okay? 
I didn't say this would always be easy, but it's going to be in the Bible. Come, come back Wednesday night. We're going to be back in the Bible next Wednesday too, okay? Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but we're going to be in the Bible. we got to be careful. I, I, I'm sounding the alarm for someone because if the enemy, the enemy is never going to take out a New Testament righteously behaving Christian by saying, hey, go do this great, crazy, dastardly deed. You know what he's going to do? He's going to get you comfortable with that thing first for a while. I hope you understand where I'm coming from and where my heart is here. I feel this burden tonight, and I'm just teaching, and I'm just sharing, and I'm just trying to help you see. There are some friends that Luke Levine has some friends that I have blocked, like friends, people that I grew up with, people that I've known for large sections of my life that I have blocked on social media. It doesn't mean I don't want to be their friend, but I don't need to see the pictures that they post. Okay. Not only do I not need to see the pictures that they post, I definitely ain't going to like the pictures that they post. Because it's not just that I'm not doing those things. It's that I'm not putting my stamp of approval on someone else. It's I'm not approving of them doing those things either. We have to be careful that we understand that we are the influencers in the world. We are the salt and light. Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing, you better look out when the salt loses its saltiness. When the salt loses its, when the flame dies down and isn't bright. In other words, God said, I filled you with the spirit so that you would be the influencer, not be influenced by the world. I was cooking a dish, uh, it was last year sometime, and, and I, I was cooking, and I went to pour the salt in, and uh, I, you know, I was like a dummy, I was, you know, a big bottle of salt, you know, that you open, Morton salt or whatever, and like a teaspoon or half a teaspoon of salt, and I'm pouring it right over the pot, man, and like, you know, poof, it all broke loose in there, it all came out like, you know, like three tablespoons of salt in there, right? I'm Googling. How to remove salt from the food. I know, I know, I'm dumber than I look. I'm like, one person said, I read one thing, it said, add peanut butter to the recipe. It's spaghetti sauce. Peanut butter, paschetti. Like we, like you can't get the salt out. It doesn't matter what ingredients are in there, the salt changes the environment that it enters into. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, whether it is on your job, it is in your immediate family, your extended family, your neighborhood, your place of recreation, whether it's on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Be Real, whatever, you are to be the one influencing, not being influenced. I'm to be the one that is exemplifying godliness and holiness and righteousness, not the one that is being influenced by the spirit of carnality and worldliness and sensuality in this world. I've got to be salt and light. Somebody lift up your voice and talk to the Lord right now. Just pray, God, help us to be salt and light. 
Come on, Lord, help us to be salt and light. God, we want to be salt and we want to be light. God, we want your wisdom and we want your direction, God. We want to be the ones that influence this world. We don't want to be the ones that this world influences. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. We need conviction even on a Wednesday night. Is that all right? I'm challenging you as a church. I'm challenging us as a church. I'm challenging young people. I'm challenging you as a youth group. Be salt and light. No matter what anybody else does, no matter what your friends at school do, even no matter what another carnal member of the youth group might do, don't do what everybody else does. Be salt and light. Be the influencer. Don't be influenced. Be the influencer on your job. It, 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 you may be the only righteous reaching person on your job. Everybody else on your job might, might be as carnal as a sack of cucumbers. Let them be carnal. Be godly. Be the influencer. Some of you are, how carnal is a sack of cucumbers? I don't know. It just sounds good. Don't be that way. Be, you may be the only person in your immediate family serving God or trying to serve God. They may make, I know what it's like to be made fun of by immediate family members. That's okay, just keep, it hurts, it stings. Pick yourself up and keep being salt and light. Keep doing the right thing. Keep being the right thing that God called you. You may be the only person in your extended family that's standing for the way of wisdom, that's reaching to do the right thing for the right reason and do it the right way. That's all right. Keep being salt and light. Keep being set apart. Keep being that city that's set upon a hill. This world is not reaching for the church. They are not coming to the sanctuary QC just because we have good music or dynamic sermons. or They're not coming for just those things. They're coming because there's something different here. There's coming, I believe, I know I'm the pastor, I know I've drank the Kool-Aid, but there's something different here than you find in a lot of modern Christianity. We want to be salt and light. We want the word to change us. We're not coming here every Sunday and Wednesday and saying, Pastor, make sure your sermon doesn't offend me and you fit your sermon to our life. No, we want the word to change us so that we can go into the world and we can be salt and light that has an effect on everybody and everything that we come in contact. And so the time is now. The time is now. God's calling us to rise up. God's calling us to be the difference. Don't let the spirit of this day, and I'm closing. I'll, I may finish this lesson and cut into June next week and finish this lesson. Don't let the world influence you. Don't let carnal people in your life influence you. Every one of us have carnal people in our life. Carnal, what's that? Just worldly thinking. People who are not reaching for the way of wisdom. People who are not trying to do what is right. Don't let those people influence you. Love them. Pray for them. I don't care if the carnal people are in your own household. Hello, somebody whistled for me. You, you can't be. Jesus said, it's over your mother and your father. It's over your sister, your brother, your wife, your kids. Don't let ungodly people, 
Don't let unrighteous people. Don't let wicked people. Don't let worldly people. You know, I'm just going to, just because we're a church doesn't mean there's never any carnal or worldly people here. Now, I know probably not tonight. Not, surely not on a Wednesday night. But there'll probably be some here Sunday, okay? Probably never been a carnal person walk through the door of the sanctuary on a Wednesday night. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that we have to make sure that we are the influence. We are not being influenced by ungodly people. We got to make sure that we're reaching for what is right and not reaching for what is popular. Because doing what's right will never be popular. Because we have a sinful world. We have a fallen world. I mean, since the book of Genesis, show me one time in human history where doing what was right was always the most popular thing. No. But we're, we're not looking for the approval of them. That's why Paul said in Romans, make sure you don't put your stamp of approval on what they're doing or how they're living. Don't put your stamp of approval on their sinful ways. Right? Because I want you to be separate. God's called us to be a called out, a separate people. Why don't you stand together with me? And if that's your desire, lift up your hands and your voice and say, Lord, help us tonight. God, help us tonight. Come on, lift up your hands and your voice and say, Lord, help me. God, I want to be.